we are creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. How y'all doing out there? Today we have a very special guest. Uh, she is uh, a phenomenal saxophonist, music educator, and a dope person just to hang out with and be around. And her name is Miss Lakeisha Benjamin. Give it up. Ah, yeah. Hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> What's good? What's good? Good evening. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's dope. It's dope to have you on today. And um, I want to I, I want to get into a lot of topics. But before we do for the people who don't know you, I would like to let you, you know, give your give your elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. Yeah. Who is Lakeisha Benjamin? My God, usually the host does that. But um, I can say that my name is uh, Lakeisha Benjamin. I'm a saxophonist. As Darren mentioned, I'm also an educator, performer, band leader, composer, ranger. I'm predominantly an alto saxophonist. I play the rest of the saxophones, but my voice and my particular passion is the alto sax. Um, I play in multiple styles of music, jazz, R&B, funk, reggae, gospel, everything within the black music umbrella. Um, I played with a bunch of artists, I would say, for the jazz circle. My first, I guess, really, you know, mainstream gig was with Clark Terry. Yeah. He started so a group cool. of, you know, young musicians. Me and Marcus Gilmore was in that band, Derek wow. Hodge. And he called us the Young Titans of Jazz. Wow. So that was my first real gig. After that, I went on to Rashid Ali and joined Brad King. Then I kind of, you know, stayed a little free jazz from there. David Murray, James Blood Omer. While at the same time, because, um, you know, those gigs were more sporadic, I was playing a lot of, I had got introduced into the more hip-hop world. So that's, I would say, around that time, I started playing a lot with Missy Elliott and Alicia Keys. From there, it moved on to Stevie Wonder stint. Okay. And then, um, you know, we could throw these names around for a while, yeah. but it really branched out. But um, I want to say in 2012, I started my own group, Soul Squad, and I was kind of you know, deep in the funk tradition of what I had been doing. So I released my first project, Retox, with Motema on that. In 2018, I did another one, Rise Up. And I just kind of was, after that, feeling more in a different spirit of things. So in 2020, March 27th, I released Pursuance, the Coltrane's, which went on a whole different direction. It's a tribute to John and Alice Coltrane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could say co-tribute homage to all the elders and, you know, whether they're 80, 90 or 50 that have come before and have been paving the way for the younger generation and deserve their credit while they're here. Absolutely. You know, something that 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 just came to me and um, that that's very interesting about you and a lot of in some of our other guests is that you aren't limited by genres. You know what I mean? And which is which is funny for me because I, I came up with this old school guy. His name is Alvin Fielder. And he was like, you don't have time to listen to nothing but jazz. And I was like, OK, but I think our generations are unique because we came up listening to, you know, Pac and then yeah. also Mary J. Blige and then like the Isley Brothers from our parents. But then, at you know, at music school, maybe you was listening to John Coltrane from 1942. You know what I mean? Or Lewis from earlier. Yeah. And, or and, and you hit some you hitting some free jazz, which is also my thing, which is also is kind of rare because you play free jazz, R&B, hip hop, straight ahead jazz. 
do you also play poker? Like, how does that even happen? Like, how did you? Uno champion. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was saying when uh, when we talk about the umbrella of the music, you know, like, you know, especially me and you, Darren, we've been doing a lot of work at Jazz Lincoln Center. Yeah. We always talk about the roots of the music and people always like, what's the roots of jazz? But like, really, when you think way, way back to those spirituals and those field hollers, mm-hmm. then you move on to the blues and then you move on to jazz. And, and as you keep moving through the period, you all see that they're the spirituals and all that stuff is kind of like the base. And then you kind of branch out to different foundations like jazz, big band jazz, ragtime, R&B, rhythm and blues, you know, like all that right. stuff, gospel. They fall under the same umbrella because they all deal with the human experience Absolutely. and those field hollers. So I feel like if you're a rhythmic people and you're thinking that way, the only thing that really changes throughout the genres is, the, is where you put the beat, where you feel the beat, mm-hmm. and where the emphasis is. So it's like... I grew up in Washington Heights, so that's like predominantly a Dominican neighborhood. So most people think, oh yeah, because I'm African American, I grew up, you know, playing R and B or playing jazz, whatever. I grew up on the one and the three. Right. You know, like the way those haleos and mambos and stuff go, that's yeah. what my ear was hearing. Right. But I was also lucky that I grew up in like a multi generational household. So can you can you talk a little bit more about maybe some of your like formative years as uh, learning how to become a musician? I know you went to an arts high school in uh, New York. Did you go to the LaGuardia school? Yeah, I, I could put them all together. So like I started playing off, let's say like 10, 11 years old. Recorder, then I moved to saxophone. And in my neighborhood, it was predominantly Dominican. So my band teacher had given me, um, he was giving us like rehearsals four days a week after school. And the other days we were doing gigs around the neighborhood. Whether we had a gig or not, he was setting up the speakers, tembora, timbales, everything. And we were out there rocking for four or five hours until like, until your chops are bleeding. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I, in those early days, I started playing with a band called La Banda Gorda, which is a very, very famous like Dominican band. So the saxophone role in that band is kind of, even when the rhythm section stops, they all start clapping in the sax, keeps the beat. Because I remember once I did a gig and I stopped playing because I was just tired. The entire party turned around and looked at me. The audience, the band, everyone stopped. They're dancing, laughing, everything, and stared at me. And I started laughing and played it off and kept playing. And they were like, hey. How how old are you when this happened? I was probably like 12 or 13. And I was like, I learned learned then, like, do not stop the party. So from there, I I did go off to LaGuardia High School. And that's when I really got... I, I think things started branching out for me. The director was a guy named Bob Stewart. Okay. Mm-hmm. At the time, he's a, a tuba player, but he was playing, you know, a brass fantasy, Lester Bowie. He was playing jazz too, right? <laughs> he he was the jazz band director, but yeah. the, the situation when he accepted me, I told him I hadn't played any jazz, but he was like, you're going to be in a jazz band. Wow. Wow. And because he was in all these big legendary people's bands, they were rehearsing at our school. So Nicholas Payton's Louis Armstrong band, they were rehearsing there. Um, Greg Osby was rehearsing. Steve Coleman was rehearsing with us. Sam Rivers' big band was rehearsing. So in terms of the at-vanguard school, they were like literally coming to my door. The World Sax Quartet, I was going to their studio sessions to like, you know, sitting next to Hamid Blewett like, wow, can I stay here? You know, so I think early on, the first real jazz that I got besides the little Duke Ellington, essentially Ellington education that was coming through was it's either this, it's swinging this way, or you're free to go. So it was, it was, I guess if you're a child, it's pretty liberating to know, like, either you swing it in the pocket, like, you know, the way your family yeah, does, yeah, or just go to the moon and we'll see you when you get back. So yeah. those, those you know, are the beginnings. 
that's what's up and, and that makes a lot of sense like now you just open up the whole like because i watch some yeah. of your shows on youtube and i'm like this is crazy because one thing i noticed is you keep the party going on your sets yo like you're like there is no dead yeah. moments you like hyping the crowd up kicking the band's ass you're like yo let's <laughs> go everybody the drummer's sweating it's, it reminds me kind of like you know how like james brown Oh yeah, that yeah. Generation, whooped, totally. they whooped the band like it ain't no breaks. We here to play every note, and like if y'all ain't never seen Lakeisha's show, you got to go see it. It ain't it ain't no regular jazz <laughs> show. It ain't you ain't no sleeping grandmas in the front row. I can be, tr- promise you that. Well, I kind of feel like you know, you know, you a drummer. The drive and the groove is going. You work so hard to get you know to build up a solo. You work really hard to get to that point. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of musicians are focused. So, you know, we, we let me get a drink at the bar or whatever. Yeah. And you lose the intensity. I'm like, we work so hard to get here, brother. Yeah. Like, at least let's just ride the same level. Let's not constantly be roller coaster riding unless that's where the mu- the music is taking us. But it doesn't really take me there. I'm always yeah. like, like, you know, what is that yeah. called? The Batman ride? That's what I'm on. <laughs> yeah. Or the Batman ride just shoots you up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm always trying to go up. If I come down, the gig is over. I'm like, all right, thank you for coming out. Man, I appreciate that, that. It's so funny that you uh, that you studied with Bob Stewart. You know, Bob Stewart has like a New Orleans connection too, because he he was down here for like a couple summers uh, at the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp, and he was t- he taught me for a couple summers, and and I I'll never forget he was so cool, so nice, such a friendly dude, and and he was good friends with Kid and Alvin Fielder and and people like that. So that might be a yeah. He brought he brought Alvin Baptiste up to like give us some lessons oh, and like work man. with us. That, that's Greg's Yabu mentor. That's, yeah, man. So I, I got I sat next to him many a time. Like, Woo! You know, all right. <laughs> we played some of his tunes, and he had, you know he was wailing like you know as a wow. little. I remember as a teenager, he'd be like, "Listen, girl," and like really <laughs> kind of get me on the phrasing. Yo, I love that's crazy. Man, I, it makes me so happy to, you know, I've, I've never met you before, but to, to know that we have that that connection in common and it's, it makes, man, it makes me feel so like, like I'm doing something right with my life. And and, and also it's a, it's a testament to also like the, the way these guys live their lives in terms of sharing their gifts and keeping the traditions going and, and always making their knowledge and um, experiences accessible to young people. You know, yeah. the cool thing about Bob and LaGuardia is that, you know, the summer vacation is off, right? So he made you go out and find a stranger in the park and, play and you had to get them to sign the note that you played what song and say the day but when you came back to school you come back with your notes okay i played in the park I, I went. Uh, yeah he would post up all the posters for all the summer jazz festival he did so wow. if you're a young kid from the hood and you're like what's that he's like that's the north sea festival where's that that's in the hague and we're like the hague you know wow. and he, he would just show us all these places and he had like a world map he'd be like look this is here this is where you are but there's another, there's a whole nother world outside of here. So it mm. kind of as a kid got you. Yeah. He even sent like one of our like older students on a tour to sub for him. So the guy came back and testified, oh, I bought McDonald's and, I, and we're all like, wow. <laughs> you know, so it really like, you know, like, okay, okay, one day I'm gonna get this Bob Stewart thing yeah. together, you know? Yeah. That, that's, that's amazing because people who don't grow up in the hood don't realize that when you grow up in the hood, you only know the hood. You know what I mean? You don't know. You know Germany exists. You know North Sea exists, but you don't have any real representation of that in your community. So when somebody in your community comes and says, you know what? I Last week, I was in Germany. And then you start thinking, yo, I can go to Germany. But everybody don't have that opportunity. You had it. A few other people had it. And it's, so it's important for 
for that to happen. And it's also important for people like us to, to push that forward into the next generation so that people without the opportunities will know that they can. Absolutely. Yeah, that's deep, man. Yeah, I, so I'm curious, like, I want to get a little deeper into, like, music education and, like, the ethics of music education and where where you think it stands right now with tuitions and and things of that sort and in especially in this COVID environment, what what would you tell some of our young viewers right now to do with their talents going forward? It's hard to speak on the COVID environment because I'm not sure where we're going. We're on this weird ride, but I, I would say in general, if you're if you're part of if you're a young person right now and let's say you can't afford to go to school, or maybe you want to take a semester off because you don't want to pay $50,000 to be virtual. You know, so there's ways to speak about this as an educator. Like, I don't want you to take off, you know, I need my check. But in, <laughs> right. in real life, I definitely would recommend taking some time off to yourself, depending on how the program is working. And if they are, if they are flexible and they have very good, you know, teachers that know how to work the virtual thing, you know, mm-hmm. and you're already finishing out your sentence, then I would go ahead and do that. Wow. But, uh, I would I would advise young people right now to I always say this women men whatever you are get a mentor that's the first step someone that I mean like almost ride or die like you're going to their gigs every night you're talking mm. to them on the phone especially if you're a female it's like you know these jam sessions are happening 9 a.m. to 3 a.m. somebody that's gonna be at the jam session with you hanging out with you that can teach you the etiquette you know just you know you got somebody that you know you're safe with you know there's somebody you can be with. You know, some of my teachers, when they had gigs, I was there watching them. You know, I got to see how they ran the band, how they ran the, how they made their arrangements. And then they would call me up. So I got to firsthand experience that fire, the drum, the wind of the drums knocking you. As a horn player, until you start playing people, you don't know what that wind feel like. Yeah. When you get up there and the rhythm section has like a steam behind them, you know. So mm-hmm. I, w- I would try to get as much experience as possible first. And then if you get the right mentor... They can help you with your branding, your image, the way you utilize your social media. We live in an environment now where everyone's like really digital and we got to get the COVID. We got to get the right mic. We got to get this. But we had to get that before anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like before I even got a web designer, I studied web design because I do my own sites. Mm. So I would advise people to, to get that stuff together. How do I play virtually with someone and put that video together? Because that's the right. same skills you need to make a video to give a, a festival promoter to book mm. your gig. So the skills that you're actually doing right now, are the skills you kind of needed if you didn't have the, the funds to get the gig after. So absolutely, this is like one of the one periods of time where whether you are old or young, you have 12 or 13 hours a day to practice. And mm. really, when you come out of this, be at a whole nother level. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's interesting that you, you mentioned that like in addition to being, you know, in addition to like working on your music, you have all these other... Um, these other projects that you were kind of investing in yourself with uh, to enhance your career. Were you always like that? Or was that something that, that you came to as you got older in, in terms of developing the, um, the business side of your saxophone playing? I think I'm always trying, like I said, to get to the next level. So I think once I started to get, um, even when I was only a sideman playing with other people, I still was thinking of it as like a sideman brand. Hmm. Like I, I found it like, what's easier for somebody to call me because they want me to sound like Johnny Hodges on their Duke Ellington song or for somebody to call me 
because I'm Lakeisha Benjamin, they want me mm. to be Lakeisha Benjamin as a part of their project. That's so true. for order for them to even know who Lakeisha Benjamin is, I had to kind of feed them the information. Like, here's the image, here's the look. Don't even try or think about making me wear this because this is what it is, you know? So if I can clearly, if you can clearly define who you are, no one, no one is going to even think about you that is not in the realm. You don't have to worry about being in a compromising situation because your image is so clear. So when I first started, you know, picking up these things, these were the problems that I encountered. So every problem I took it as like a tackle, almost like if you go to a jam, they call Stella by Starlight. You don't know it. I would take mental note. This is a song I will never not know again. Right. So that I can take that off the list. Cause as soon as you called that and I didn't know it, I'm always going to know it now. Yeah. So the same thing with a website. As soon as I figured out, okay, well, I can't build websites yet. Let me get a template. Let me start there. Okay, then let me figure out the coding behind it so I can at least work the back door angle. Okay, I can't afford a photographer. Well, what camera can I get? You know, mm -hmm. each step, it showed me that, like, kind of almost like I'm out here on my own. And if I don't do these things and, and keep pushing, I might as well get out the game. Absolutely. It, it, this is funny that you bring this up because I wrote down to ask you, about standing in your own lane and developing your own voice because right away when i the first time i met you years ago i was like damn this this girl is like this woman is, is on it like i know you have a, a very defined image and you have a very defined voice and when every time you step on the stage there is a level 10 intensity <laughs> you know what i mean like no matter if we burn and swing on a plan a funk thing or something in between country music it does not matter like you be backstage, chill, you get on stage and it's level 10. <laughs> like, I, like how can you just talk about uh, like how you specifically develop that mentality and, and how you maintain that level of intensity throughout your artistry? Um, the easy response is it's kind of built in, in, in what you went through, what you've come through, what your life story has been. So if your life story has been on 10, but I would say like if, if, for the younger audience members out there, I always say how you practice is how you sound. Mm -hmm. So if you're at home practicing without the metronome, you know, there is no way when I get Greg Hutchin on the drums that you're not gonna <laughs> You're gonna try harder and you'll have more mistakes, but you have not been you have not spent your time practicing at the highest level you wanna be. So I was always taught to, even when you're practicing, I don't care if the metronome's on, I don't care if I'm playing scales, I'm playing them like my life depended on it. Mm -hmm. So that when I get to the situation, now the new things that I have to learn come, you know, I always, my teachers used to tell me practice right after the gig. Mm -hmm. Because when you, when you finish the gig, you remembered everything you tried to play that you couldn't get to and it's fresh in your mind. Mm -hmm. It's not like weeks later. So I, I always tell people practice what it is that you want to play. And I also tell them like, you got to go out there and live some life. You know what I mean? You, if, if every time I play, I think of it as I'm, I'm constantly crying out to God, hmm. like a, like a, like a begging, pleading kind of vibe, you know? So the reason why it sounds so urgent when I'm playing is because that's what I'm, I'm always spiritually like God, you know, like, please, yeah, like, yeah. you know, that's, and I don't care if it's a ballad, that's the, the feeling that I'm having the whole time. Like, I'm just grateful to be able to have the gift. So right, right. Part of it is like who you are and learn living life and appreciating that. But another part of it is do not practice anything out of rhythm. Mm -hmm. You can do the long tones, but I always tell people your whole life for a long time. And even to this day, I'm in rhythm. Yeah, absolutely. If I got to slow it down, I got to slow it down. But music all with other people happens in time. Right. I don't give it's free jazz or whatever. They're in time. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, well, everything in life is in time. You know what I mean? Like everything. So people got a horn player that. thing. Horn players like to like you know just play the ballad and hear the fresh sound of their nose and do 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 do. Yeah. Like nothing is happening. Then when they get with the band, it's all fumbles. And I'm right, like, dude, right, right. just just play in time. Yeah. Yeah. T- time is time is where it's at. You know, because everyone's been playing the same twelve notes for the last five hundred years. It's Come just on the now. rhythm that's changed. You, know I mean? you, should, you should be sitting over there, and I can hear the time coming off of you. Like a drummer should yeah. be listening to you and go, oh, "Okay, I can come in right now." Right. When right. you when you when you talk about time though, like you, you did reference that you grew up kind of hearing like like swing and then like also like a lot of free jazz and then also having a huge like Dominican influence. Would you say that like there was a specific like what what allows you to um to to kind of like morph into all those different realms without while, while still being yourself and uh, not playing do 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 I think that's the quote. <laughs> I, I just I think I, I guess like to me like you know the thing I if you just put a whole band on stage the first person I'm gonna listen to is the drummer mm-hmm. because I feel like it's in that they're the ones setting the the, the carpet for the whole band the dynamics, everything are being controlled by that person. So, I mean, even before I walk, while I'm walking to the stage, I'm smiling at the drummer. Like me and you are going to be friends. Like my whole, I don't, everybody's playing. I'm staring at them, listening to the ride, listening. I don't, if it's funk or whatever, that pocket and where you lay your beat. I don't care if the, what the bass and drums are playing. That's where you place your beat. So I think a lot of times we spend a lot of time on harmony you know, tritone sub, melodic minor modes, double harmonic major, like stuff uh-huh. like that. It's like, ooh, cool, I sound like chick. But if the rhythm is not there, it doesn't even matter the harmony you know, because this music is built off the rhythm. I don't care, merengue, funk, jazz, it's, it's got to feel good. So I always teach my, my students, before we even get to the notes, I give them three notes, and you're going to swing them three notes. Like, you should be able to take a, a solo on one note. And people get excited, you know. It's almost like mm-hmm. whatever you play should be a statement first, and then the other stuff later. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that, man. And I'm I'm thinking now because because to me also music is is a spiritual endeavor, you know. And I think a lot of that for me personally, maybe it's the same for you, is because the first place you hear music is in a spiritual environment. Uh, usually, growing up at least in a black community, you know, like I heard music first at church. I'm pretty sure I was born, and then my mama took me to church the same day. And so, <laughs> and so you you learn when people hear music, they pass out, they get the Holy Ghost, they fall on the floor, they hug, they kiss, they run up and down. You're like, oh, this is crazy. Music has its power. Mm-hmm. And so and so then when you it's your turn to play right away, you're trying to tap into it, you know. And and usually church is your first gig too. So and they intense and they're like, come on louder faster harder you like okay i'm going i can't really play you know <laughs> so so digging deep into that spirituality is in that rhythm and that feel that hot sweaty i'm from the south so it's always hot and sweaty greg no and it, it, that thing is very important you know what i mean and i think it spills over in, in, into real life and into some of the stuff that's happening in real life for us today like the black lives matter movement you know so we feel a certain intensity and a, a, a certain calling from God to like scream out and to play and to say things in a way that will affect change. And, and like, how are you dealing with some of those? How are you even dealing with that? That the whole Black Lives Matter movement, some of the most the most recent events that happened in Kenosha. I mean, yeah, you, 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 first of all, you said a lot in that. I, 
a lot of the stuff too, church oriented, but it, it is cultural. Like I, I can immediately, when I step out on the stage, I don't care what country am I in or what place I am. As soon as I play a couple notes, if I get a couple hollers, I already know the demographic of my audience, you know? <laughs> I remember I came out on stage once and I played something. They were like, go ahead, Kiki. I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I can feel out where I am. Oh, you be, I was in Germany once and somebody was like, yo. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. like, yes, yes. I know, I know where we at, you know? So I think culturally, each culture has this thing, but that is my goal to kind of electrify yeah. you. If you're a culture, oh, we don't really get loud. I'm in Japan. You guys don't talk. You're going to talk on this show, I guarantee you. Yeah. If I have to drag it out of your dead soul, you're going to speak. <laughs> but as far as the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, if I'm completely honest, being black, you know, it's like something that's been a constant throughout your entire life. Right. So I never thought about it like, oh, this is a movement. This is something it's kind of like each stage in my life. I was slowly, you know, if, OK, if I show up to a gig, make sure I have my ID ready. If I'm sitting in the parking lot, don't come too early before because that may cause trouble. So I'm, I was already, you know, following the rules of the microaggressions, right. you know, even mm -hmm. by my house now where I live, it's, it's more suburban. So I'm kind of like, okay, if I'm going to go outside, let's say to a different part of the neighborhood, I'm sure right. not to wear any kind of fitted hats. I'm sure like right. when I look at my outfits, I'm thinking, okay, where am I going? I'm, you know, and those are terrible things, but I was kind of really thrown off to first, you know, the plague come. <laughs> And it's like, you know, the fear of being next to another person could kill you. So that was already like hard for me because I'm somebody that's so connected to people. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of dealing with that and processing that, it was cold outside. And then they start shooting people. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not even supposed to be six feet near this guy. Right. How do you got your knee on the neck and it's social distance? You got to like arrest somebody with a taser. You got to be like... Right. You know, so the, and I, I, because I'm so used to black people being, you know, killed by the police mm -hmm. and that being such a reality, I didn't think it would affect me. I was like, you know, people like, oh yeah, they, they killed somebody down in Mississippi. I'm like, mm-hmm. Right. That's like the constant black talk. Oh yeah. You know, Barbara died in Chicago. Yeah. The cops. Right. So when this stuff started happening, I was like, why is this hitting me so hard? I almost felt like if someone in my family was dying or if I, or almost like if I got shot and killed. And I think I realized just in this moment with the COVID thing and we're all, our mortality is right in front of our face. Absolutely. And we're dealing that with that. So for, you know, whenever you watch the superhero movies and America's going through it and they're like, get the world powers on the phone. Let's kumbaya and come together. I was under the impression that when a plague like this comes, if I just go home, America's going to support its citizens financially, spiritually. Like we're all going to come together and be one as a nation. And to realize that not only are they not going to support you through the pandemic and maybe you wear a mask, maybe you won't, maybe I'll send you to work to die, maybe I won't. I'm also going to shoot you like a dog in the street. Mm. And at the same time I'm doing that, if you're not in the street and you come home from, you know, doing your civil service with the pandemic, I'm going to shoot you like a dog in your bedroom. Yeah. And then, well, oh, that's not working. Okay. I'm going to shoot you like a dog while you break up a fight. And then, you know, watching my social media, it's like, well, did they have this? Did they have that? Each story, if we do out of 10,000, has a, did they do this? And each time the guy was jogging, he wasn't doing anything. He got ran down as always. So I kind of got the feeling of exhaustion. Like, Absolutely. you got to deal with the reality. And I hate to say it because I don't believe that all people are this way, but you don't actually care because 
each time somebody take a solo, you say, what about this? What about this? What Am I going to get this solo or not? So I just feel like dealing with that reality and then an administration now that is kind of highlighting that is making it worse when my, my particular vice and outlet is music. And since March 11th, my CD release, I, hadn't, I haven't played one gig besides a virtual gig. Yeah. So to lose something that was like felt like my sense of purpose and the combination that if I go outside, yeah, this invisible thing will kill me. And then if I'm not walking in the right place, another person will kill me. Right. And it'll be okay. And if I become a hashtag, my friend's going to post pictures with me. She was amazing. She was great. And that's it. It's like just that quickly my life can be taken. <laughs> it's been very hard to deal with. Even right before the pandemic, I had a student that was, you know, dealing with the police violence. And they asked me, if they have this particular sax case, will the cop think it's a weapon? <laughs> and will they get killed for being in their neighborhood that because they were 13, but they were like 13, like 5'9". Right. And that became a reality. Nick, now from, from now on, I have to drive him home to make sure he feels safe. But as I'm driving him home, I'm not safe with you either. Right. So it, it's, you know, like I said, a confounded issue, and we all know this, but it's a... It's been definitely making the pandemic way worse. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, I think some a lot of us are feeling a lot of those same feelings, you know, and we have been <laughs> forever. <laughs> but now it's kind of like people are paying attention to it, some people, and others are making excuses. Like you said, well, what, what if he wouldn't have had his hoodie on? He shouldn't have been walking in that neighborhood or it's it's just like okay come on y'all like at some point we got to call it what it is and yeah. uh and, and uh you know i i don't really have any answers either uh, honestly i'm like shit, i might get out this motherfucker <laughs> like because like, i because it's like man i'm about to have a baby you know in, in, in any minute now and it's just like wow man like is this the right place for me to raise my family i mean america you know and uh that, I mean, a, it's hard. I mean, you because most I saw Doc Rivers the other day at the at the end of the game, right? When mm -hmm. he did that long speech about like just pleading with America, like please, like we love this country, mm -hmm. for the love of God, just stop. Like, I don't care if you knock my man out with the back of the Glock. Like, just for the just please stop. And it, it's it's I think it's more excruciating too to watch your peers online, you know, posting the pictures and whatever, and you and you just really know that each time they post something, even though it's like showing the, the hypocritical nature of things, yeah. they're showing it because they really are begging you, like, please care. Just yeah. please care enough. If this could just stop, like, everyone's like, oh, we got to get this person to win the election and that person to win. It's it's kind of like just, if you want your ratings to go up, just do the right thing. There you go. Just stop killing people and just, I don't know, take the virus seriously and then you'll be a hero. <laughs> yeah. There's so, yeah, much energy, there's so much energy put into the, the negative ways to go about things. But it's like, if you just put in the work and time, you'll get better at your craft. So if you just do your job, things will go better. So to me, that's been like very heavy on my spirit. And sometimes I don't realize it. it. Maybe if music was going on, I would feel it less because I would have some of whatever outlet, you know. But right. without that outlet, you're kind of just stuck staring at the wall thinking, dang, yeah. how much longer is this going to? just gonna last yeah oh man yeah that is that is like a heavy conversation to to listen to as a as a, a caucasian male 
just to, to, to sit, you know, to sit down and listen to all that stuff, you know, it's, um, the, the way Lakishi described the beginning of the question where you were saying like, you know, this has always been something at the, at the, at the back of my mind since forever, you know, I, you know, the way I feel like every couple of years we have these, these events that actually like do make mainstream CNN news and, and do get like people all riled up on Facebook and things like that. But that's more like, I feel like white people becoming aware of um, the reality that other people live through on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, this might be a weird question, but do you have any, um, like, like, like what are white people, what's, what's, what's the white people's role in, in these types of situations? Or is like, is there something that like we need to understand or how do we alleviate or be part of the solution? Um, Oh boy, how do I just put this the right way? <laughs> <laughs> just be honest. Just be honest. You know, because and we can, yeah, we can, we got to be real. A lot of people ask that, those questions, and you know, what can I do? How can I help? But it's like you already see it. Mm -hmm. It's like we all we there is a way that sometimes people go, oh, I wasn't aware that was happening. Every person that's not African American knows they don't want to be African American. They know, like, if the cops stop them, they're black, they'd be like, oh, God, you know, so we all know it's happening, but we all know it's not happening to us. So it's eventually going to happen to you because that's how power structures go. If you're really about to start dealing with fascism, they just starting, they just, you know, moving up the ladder. But I just think as a, as a, as a, as a race, as humanity, we have to learn to become more in touch with compassion and empathy. I feel like we all know how people are feeling. We know what they oh, I know what the people down the street, like I have AC, but they don't. Poor guys, I know they're hot. I just turn my stuff on and watch the game. You know, so we're not, we're not, we haven't been, as, as far as long as I've been alive, I haven't been raised in a world where I don't think about the I. Most people don't speak in we, they don't think about we. It's just, you know, go out there and grind, get your thing. You know, people see you, I see you, I see what you're doing, you're doing big things. And you try to hook up with people doing big things. Not because you even admire what they're doing. You just want to be doing big things as well. So I would just advise as a society, we start focusing more on each other. And the, even through this pandemic, it's like, I know if I don't wear the mask, even if I don't die, I may hurt you. And even as a nation, we're having a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, it's like the little focal points. I, I just, I just, I just don't buy that way. People, what can I do? I don't know what to do. You guys know what's happening. We all know that the poor Indians done gone down. Black people getting lynched. Oh, kumbaya. We all know that this is happening, and we're just pretending, I don't know what I can do as a white person. You know. You know it's happening. You just know it's not happening to you. And maybe you have black friends. Maybe you don't. And maybe if you really, really, really search the core gut of you, you know, like, this is working for me and helping me. And if you can wrestle with that feeling like, you know, you know, I know people, some gigs, they only call women musicians. Like, we really want a nice woman look. You know, if you wrestle with that feeling, like, that's not fair, but it's helping me. And if you can slowly, like, you know, just step by step open the door. It's like, we got a whole country right now that's, I've never seen so many protests in every city. And now we're at the point where the Black Lives Matter, the pro-Trump, pro, they're fighting each other. That's like, if you really look at humanity, that's like, a really thin red line from civil war right on the edge of like, if the wrong event happens, if, if somebody gets killed just too innocently, just 
forget like you can't argue any points. You're just standing there and it gets shot. The whole system will blow up. So I think it's just better to pull it back. Pull it back before we end up in a place of chaos. And then we'll be like, you know, that year 2020 when humanity killed themselves off. Yeah. I was having a conversation with my mom yesterday, kind of like what you were talking about. But it's like, man, everyone, it seems like everyone's emotions are on level 10 right now. And we were talking about the election. I'm like, man, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter who wins because half the population is going to be like on level 10 freak out. Like if Trump wins, you got half the country that's going to freak out. And if Biden wins, you got the other half of the country that's going to freak out. <laughs> it's what I always tell musicians that are, that are jealous of other musicians. You know, they see, oh, oh, I have a gig. Lakeisha doesn't deserve that gig. I play better than her. I, I'm, I'm Coltrane. I could play Countdown. She ain't got countdown on the city. Where's <laughs> countdown? Play the real train stuff. You know, there's people that think like that. And there's other people that think as long as Lakeisha Benjamin is working and not in town, there are other opportunities for me. Right. You know, instead of like, oh, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny G, he ain't real. Yeah. He exposed the saxophone. If Kenny Garrett's on the road, last thing you want is all of us in town. Like we are now <laughs> looking at smalls. Like, can I get a gig? Who's going to yeah. get the gig? Kenny Garrett or you? So it's right. like you want a plethora of work so that your teachers can't even take the work and they have to send you and you can't take it. Well, I'm so busy. Let me send it to this person. But it's hard for people to think the more people are working, the better it is. They always think the more I have and I, if I hold on to this, you know, nobody, if you hold on to it, what's going to happen is everyone's going to show up at your house to rob you because hmm. you're the only one that has it. Yeah, I, I love what you just said so much. I, I, I had that realization too. That's how I got the gig at the Uptown Jazz Orchestra and met Darian. One of the cats got a gig with Raphael Sadiq and he was out of town and I, I and I got I got bumped up, you know? <laughs> and I, that was my realization was like, man, look, I hope I hope you get that big gig because when, when someone gets really successful, everyone moves up. You know, you don't, like you don't know what call you are. You, you okay, yada yada, whatever. If Charles Mingus is alive, Charles Mingus called me. I don't know if I was the first call or if I was the twelfth call. I just know I got the call. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of, I could post about the gig. Oh, yeah, look, I'm playing with Mingus. And 12 of the alto players be like, yeah, but I wasn't free. <laughs> you know? So it's like. <laughs> yeah. Bit, bitter jazz musicians. That's right. That's right. <laughs> listen, you, you just plugged your record, and I want everybody to know about it. And uh, I want to take a listen to it. And so you got a brand new record out that is highlighting the music of John and Alice Coltrane or Alice and John Coltrane. And if you guys don't know, Alice Coltrane was a piano player and she likes, you know, she liked music that was a little bit more free. And I think Train played everything from super in, blues, all that stuff, all the way out to outer space. And uh, they played together at the end of their career just for a brief history lesson. But anyway, we want, we're gonna take a listen to it um greg's got one queued up what was the name of the tune you're gonna play greg we're gonna play so this is a uh, miss benjamin's rendition of the coltrane tune called central park west <laughs>
funny like see that's one of my favorite tunes you know that's one of the ones we used to play in high school all the time um i didn't play it in high school but that's my that's my jam you know oh, we couldn't play it we we tried you know <laughs> picturing a bad high school video oh, <laughs> ask, ask scott about that you gotta find one of scott playing trying to play central park west oh man um that was beautiful yeah. man so good so good y'all gotta go buy that record pursuance the coal trains by lakeisha Benjamin and that was Central Park West or her her rendition and uh yeah it might yeah, go check it out uh, I'm curious like what what drew you to the music of Alice and John Coltrane uh hmm. long story short I had a friend Georgia and Mojo which was a sign of stones to you know, we were out there living in Cali, just living it up, playing with, you know, Peanut Butter Wolf. Oh, you know, oh no, everybody, you know, Dilla. I was doing a lot of horns for them because of, you know, I was her friend, so they're like, she got it. And one day, um, she uh played me an Alice Coltrane track. You know, we was going through everything. We were going through Al Green. Oh, listen to this line of Family Stone. We're just going through them. I was like, girl, you got the you got the jams. She put on this Alice Coltrane cut. She was like, you never heard her? And it was called Turiya Ramakrishna. And I was like, you know, for me, I was like, oh, the hip hop. I was like, you know, feeling it. And to the point where she was like, yo, listen to the whole album. And then we started listening to all the rest of the albums. You know, later on, I kind of went through my own, like went to the store, picked all the albums up, started going through them. And I was open one of the booklets. And, you know, back in the day, you open the booklet, check out who's on the record. And I used to check out who's on the record because I'm like, if, I'm going to get your record, too. Mm-hmm. And I saw Farrell Sanders, Joe Henderson, Rashid Ali. I said, oh, I'm going to call Rashid about this. You know, and I'm looking at it, and then I see somewhere in, like, what looks like uh Oh, can you guys see me still? Yeah, we lost you. Oh, we hold on. Still, we can still hear you. So maybe I'll still go until we get the video back. Yeah. But I see... um. It's back, it's back. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe my battery died. But uh, I see... um. What you call it? uh, Some... In the notes, it said John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, John Coltrane? 
maybe she got a brother or something. So I hit Google, <laughs> see what he plays. And when I look it up, I'm like, oh, this is clearly not the brother. And as I'm checking that out, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I literally, you know, went to his discography, saw all the albums, and I was like, okay. So I went down to Tower Records, you know, piece by piece, and started from the beginning and went all the way to the end. So once I got to the end, I was like, it was almost like I went through the journey of watching them come together. So when I get to the end of it, I, I was just like, oh, you guys are kind of like on the same street, just walking parallel. But you're going to the same place, but you're going to, you know, different roads. Right. So that was my introduction to, to both of them. Yeah, John Coltrane, like, I, for me, and I'm sure for most jazz musicians and some of y'all who are not jazz musicians, is, uh, is an important figure in the music because it was like the first music that I heard. I was like, yo, like that, that's it. I want every gig to be that gig, you know, because you could hear that they they loved each other and that they were willing to to take take all the chances, you know. Yeah. And, and even when you listen to him before he got his own group, you know, with Miles and some of those other folks, or even even some of his beginning groups before Elvin, you're like, man, like it's something else that I can tell he's pushing, you know. And as soon as he got with Elvin and them, it was like, all right, yeah, bro, and you know. You know, G Gary Bartz told me like to me the story that to me sums up Train. Mm -hmm. He said that back in the day, the cops used to come around. And you know, not killing people, but they used to come around and um, giving tickets to everybody that played after the after their club was supposed to close. So if your club closed at four, they waiting outside at three fifty nine. Wow! So they knew that when John Coltrane played, this is where you want to be because you, you this man ain't gonna stop at four and he you're gonna get a ticket. So the club <laughs> owner was like, "Listen, Train, tonight we gotta end at four o'clock." And you know, no problem, no problem. Cop is out there standing just as normal. They shut it down 359. Cop can't give him the ticket, so they clearing out the club. He said that Elvin and Train take the drums to the basement. Wow. And they go down there, and he said, what you guys about to do? He said, we're about to finish the gig. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary Bartz told me he was an audience member, so he's already sitting there blown away. He don't really know Train like that. You know, hi and bye, but not like, you know, a yeah. dog. And he watches this guy go to the basement and proceed to play for like ever wow and we don't even know what time they got out that basement so imagine playing you know shedding all day then playing this gig from like nine to four or something right then you're like, it's not over so you get home at like eight what you gonna do sleep and then be back at it so to me that that just describes the dedication and the spirituality behind you know this ain't no job to him this is like this is the direction yeah absolutely i'm going See, I think we should end it right there. That's 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 the essence of all creativity, I think. And, and, and it's like it's not a job, and also it never ends. Yeah. You know, it's it's the life it's the lifeblood of humanity and society. And uh, some of us have forgotten that, but you haven't, and neither did John Coltrane. And Greg is right on it too. <laughs> right, Alvin Baptiste too. What? It's the bat, man. It's the Ooh. bat. Yeah, that you know. But yeah, Lakeisha, once again, we got Lakeisha Benjamin on the show. And uh, yeah, she was just sent the great. I'm yeah, thanks Douglas. for having me, man. Oh, man, listen. And congrats you. on all, you know, any second now. All <laughs> right, any second. Yeah, now. She, might, 
You're right. She might be having a baby right now. I'm in <laughs> I thought it was happening when the camera came out. I was like, uh-oh, that's a sign from God. You got a two-minute warning. <laughs> Yo, Lakeisha, it was, it was such a pleasure getting to uh, talk with you. I really appreciate you um, being totally straight up, honest, upbeat, and, and transparent about your feelings. And, and you know, you shared some, some, uh, some vulnerable thoughts and you didn't sugarcoat anything. So I really appreciate that. Oh, it was all sugar. Don't worry. It was, all, yeah, but, it was, but it, it was sugar. You're right. It was totally. <laughs> so, but, and, and also congratulations on all the amazing things that you do and, and you know you're, you're a true inspiration to 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 me darian and, and a whole generation of musicians so keep 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 doing what you do and, and we wish you the best of luck forward oh, thanks man hope we can play when you know when it all settles down that'd be killing absolutely. absolutely i'm darian douglas i'm gregory Ajit. thank you so much again y'all yeah this is the working artist project and uh, we'll see y'all next week At Heritage Bank, we're working to strengthen communities by helping businesses stay in business. See how we can help yours. Visit heritagebanknw.com slash all of us or click the ad to learn more. Member FDIC. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. Uh, dealing with battery problems? We've got you. Let's start with a free battery test. If you just need a free charge, we can help with that too. And if it's time for a new battery, we've got you covered. We're the only place you can find Duralast, the batteries more consumers choose. That's what makes us America's number one battery destination, where help is always in stock. Claims based on a proprietary consumer study and data from the MPD Group 2019. Get in the zone, AutoZone.